Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by SpotTrack. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about is what, what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, where do you want to start today? Buyout market and recent transactions or your most recent piece on spending power now that the trade deadline has passed? Yeah, we should probably start with the buyout market and what's gone on around the league because that has the more immediate impact. And then we a little later, we can get into the, the future looking stuff. All right. So we've had a slew of transactions here, including some buyout candidates that you had posted about and they have signed. Uh, of the most recent transactions, which ones do you think are going to be the most impactful? Uh, I'm guessing a Spencer Dinwiddie or a Kyle Lowry, but is there anything else that caught your eye from a signing standpoint? You're you're on it. It's it's probably Dinwiddie uh, of all the guys who who have signed in in the last uh, week or so here in the bio uh, season, if we will, because he's going to play a real role and he seems to have the most left in the tank. A lot of these other guys, I'm very fond of saying, they're more name than game. And and that is just where we get to at the point for a lot of these guys in their careers. But Dinwiddie, that was more of a circumstance thing. The the Raptors are going in a completely different direction. So when they acquired him and what was really a move for them to get off some uh, money that's owed to Dennis Schroeder for next year, they didn't really have any interest in having Spencer Dinwiddie there rather than have him waste away on the bench for the rest of the year. They set him free and he's going to play a big role for the Lakers. He stepped right in as their sixth man. That's expected to be his role for uh, the rest of the season. And we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes from there. So he's the guy who jumps right out to me as someone who's going to play a major, major role um, on a team that's really trying to climb up in the standings. So what about the Kyle Lowry going to Philadelphia signing? Is that, uh, just uh, more to bring in the backup role behind Maxi of depth um, is is this potentially you know a long term landing spot? I know he'll be a free agent going into the off season, but how do we how do we read the uh, Lowry to the Philadelphia 76ers? Um, without being snarky about it, I think it's more just a nice story than it's going to be a major on court impact. He has not. Uh, been very good uh the last last uh really a lot of the last two seasons but really this year he's really struggled it just looks like it's gone he, he doesn't move his feet the way he used to that that hurts him and getting by guys and creating the stuff on the offense offensive end he's still a very smart player and a very good passer but because he doesn't create that separation uh, teams are now that they're right up on him and making it making life difficult for him. So that's that's the the hard part for for Lowry. And then I think um, defensively, he doesn't really move his feet at all anymore. He's strictly a positional defender now. He's a guy who's just going to try to get to a spot first and take a charge uh, rather than really playing defense. So I, I'm not sure how much that's going to have an impact. I, they have campaign uh, there too, backing up Tyrese Maxey. And I think in the end, we'll see if they decide, yeah, Payne's actually the better guy here. And it's, it's a good story for Lowry to finish out his career back home in Philadelphia. But I, I just don't, I, I have my doubts. We're going to see that go, go anywhere. Uh, you know, that it swings playoff games, never mind like a whole playoff series or anything. We've seen a slew of two-way contracts being converted into rest of season, multi-year rest of season contracts. Uh, let's start with Gigi Jackson. What's your thoughts on that signing? It's a four-year contract. 
where the fourth year is a team option. Um, from our indications, it is uh, the first three years are guaranteed. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that signing for Memphis with Gigi Jackson? I think that's a huge signing for the Grizzlies. They, there, There's two parts to that. One, Jackson himself as a player had clearly outplayed his two-way contract. He, he was a guy who, uh, for those who don't necessarily follow the college game too deeply, he was a very highly rated crew, recruit coming in, and he was also very um, – highly thought of in the draft process, at least initially that, that dipped after what was a really kind of disastrous uh, one season at South Carolina. He was kind of given the ball and told, go do your thing, do whatever you want. He took all kinds of awful shots and it was really a mess for him and for that South Carolina team. And so then what that turned into is his draft stock fell. He got drafted middle of the second round by the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies basically said, Hey, we're going to put you on a two-way contract. Now, in Memphis, they have a history of if you play well and you develop, we're going to take care of you down the line. That's exactly what happened. From the Grizzlies' standpoint, now what they have for a team that is getting very expensive. This is a team that's pending what they do with Luke Kennard's team option and other trades and the like. They're right at the you know second apron amount. Like They're barely below it, and they're like one signing away from being a second apron team, and that's that's a very, very expensive team for a small market franchise. So I think having a guy like Jackson, who for the next, the rest of this year is what it is, but next year, just under 2 million, the year after that, just over 2 million. That's huge because you combine that with the Vince Williams Jr. signing earlier this year after they converted him. And now you have two guys that look like they can be rotation wings for you for a combined like $4 million over the next couple of seasons. That's massive um, for them to rebuild that depth. And maybe when you have that kind of depth and you're not looking to go add another guy, that may make a decision on, or you know what, maybe we could keep Luke Kennard here and kind of keep this moving forward rather than having to go get somebody else. So great for the player and great for the team, which is always what we want to see in a win-win. Yeah, if you go to the Memphis Grizzlies multi-year page on Track, Keith, that they've done a phenomenal job of staggering all of these contracts. It's not like looking at Philadelphia where they just have everything open going into next year. They have uh, restricted and unrestricted free agents mixed all over the next five years. So they've done a very good job of staggering these contracts to be able to roll over year after year and then still have some room but have a core in place uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you factor in John Morant's on a max deal now, Desmond Bain is on essentially a max deal. We're, we're, we're not going to get uh, too uh, semantics on that like it really is you know basically a max deal for him and then um you go into jaron jackson jr he's he's only after this year he's only got a couple years left he's on the declining contract now it should be high enough that they they can extend him off of that number but then you got brandon clark on a mid-range kind of tradable contract you got luke Kennard on his deal i do think they will ultimately pick up canard's option and try to figure out the tax and apron issues down the line if they need to maybe marcus smart maybe he's not long for there they've now shown a willingness to move some of their young players which is a thing they weren't willing to do 
for a lot of years. They'd been very precious with their own draft picks, uh, kind of clinging to them. And now what you're seeing is they, they, they got rid of David Roddy in a move that was really designed on, all right, he's probably not going to be what we hoped, and let's get that money off the books. So maybe a guy like Zaire Williams or Jake Laravia, those guys could be on the move. So a lot to come here with Memphis. Uh, they, they're, they, I like to say they're, they're making lemonade out of lemons, and this has certainly been a lemon of a season for them with the injuries and the John Morant suspension and then his injury on top of it but they're doing the best they can and you know the guys are playing hard and and they're developing some of their young guys which is good to see another two-way converted Keon ellis with the sacramento kings a three-year which includes a 25 26 club option um which is non-guaranteed at the time of exercising but then would become fully guaranteed at the january cutoff thoughts on Keon ellis signing uh, semi-long term with the Kings here. Yeah, I like it for the Kings. He's a guy who early in the year, he was a rotation guy. And then I think uh, the front office and Mike Brown came together and basically said, hey, we're going to run out of two-way uh, days with, with this guy. And if the uh, roster spot doesn't come open at some point, we, we might be in trouble here. So, so I think they kind of uh, tabled it a little bit. He fell out of the rotation. He wasn't active for a series of games and they really went into a spot where it was, all right, we're going to go now they've got him signed and he's right back into being a rotation guy. He's a big guard. He, he's probably, I think he's listed at six, six. He's probably closer to six, four, six, five, but he can really handle the ball. He can do some stuff. The, the Kings have used him uh, quite a bit as, it's it's like a pseudo backup point guard because when he's in there, Malik Monk's in there and uh, usually DeMontis Sabonis as well. And those two guys are going to eat up a lot of the ball handling reps, but they like Ellis's on-ball defense. They like his uh, length and size at the position. So he's an interesting player for Sacramento. And again, they're not quite facing the same issues as the Grizzlies. Their payroll hasn't, hasn't climbed to quite those levels yet, but this is a team that's increasingly expensive, especially if they try to re-sign Malik Monk this offseason so getting a guy who can maybe be a rotation guy for just above the minimum though those those are major major signings for again these small market franchises craig porter jr with cleveland signed a four-year contract which includes a 26 27 club option uh the first year this year is fully guaranteed because he signed under the uh, mle at 1.5 million dollars Next year is just under two million, but one million is fully guaranteed. Uh, thoughts on Craig Porter Jr. with the Cleveland in, in long term here? I'm really happy for this one. This is a kid I fell in love with in the pre-draft process. I, I as I started to evaluate, I just I. Scott, you may know this already, and the listeners uh, will know this or or will learn this now. I have a thing for tough small guards. <laughs> it's just it's a it, it's a, a draft thing. I love like, like I love guards that get after it and play really hard, and they can take contact, and and they're not afraid to get in there and mix it up. And that's exactly what Craig Porter Jr. is. Is Cleveland went through a ton of injuries to their backcourt early on. They they uh, Ty Jerome's missed almost all season. Uh, he was expected to be kind of the third guard in their rotation, and then Darius Garland. Uh, missed a good amount of time. Craig Porter Jr. stepped in and played a lot uh, for this Cavs team and he really was able to do some stuff. So I think it's uh, you know really a good thing for Cleveland that 
again, get a guy converted. This is another team that they're starting to get pretty expensive. They've got some long-term uh, things they've got to look at. You also have Evan Mobley, uh, extension eligible for the first time this summer. So that's something we're going to have to take a look at as well. So I think, you know, again, getting a guy who is right around a minimum type contract, you have team control for a few years. That's huge because that, that allows you to uh, be in a position where if you need to clear a couple million in space, you can do it by just waving him, waving him and moving on. If it's not working out other than that, you've got at worst a third guard on effectively a minimum contract. And at best, he might be a backup point guard on a really great value deal. So good, good work by Cleveland and good work by Porter to kind of force the team's hand by being such a good player. Any other uh, recent transactions that you want to note before we move on to the spending power? Um, it's not a transaction. I just wanted to put this out there. We we always wonder when teams um, make a trade and they bring in a whole bunch of guys at the trade deadline, like veteran-type players. One first thing we go to is, are those guys going to stick in that city or are they going to get waived? Well, in Charlotte, it appears that all the vets they brought in, so Davis Burton, Seth Curry, Vasily Misic, who's an NBA uh, rookie, but but he is a um, he, he is a, uh, um, a a veteran guy because he's he's played for years overseas. But all those guys come in, and those guys are playing roles right now for Charlotte. And it, it we don't want to get too crazy over this. They, they're still a bad team, and they're going to be a bad team. But they're playing much better basketball right now. It looked like a very unhappy group heading into the trade deadline. A group that it looked like they were pretty close to quitting on the season. And now all of a sudden you get all these uh, guys in there and they really are um, lo- looking good. And they're really kind of, I think uh, have brought a whole new energy uh, to this team in Charlotte where it's, it's been fun to watch with those guys. So it's not a, it's a, let's call that a week delayed transaction reaction uh, because this was a trade deadline thing, but it's been really kind of fun to um, watch that team come together a little bit here. Maybe sometimes in these bad seasons, you stumble into some guys where it's like, actually, maybe, maybe we like this a little more long-term because things just fit better and work. So that's been fun to watch. Yeah. Sometimes teams need to pivot and, you know, it does take a little bit of time for you know things to work out. Maybe this is the the writing of the ship in Charlotte, which is a great transition into your NBA spending power uh, predictions projections. Now that the trade deadline has passed, with Charlotte, I mean they've had cap space. Where are they going to land as of your projections right now? Are they going to have cap space to use? Are they going to be a uh, uh, you know a non-tax team? Uh, where do they start? Yeah, definitely a non-tax team. Um, they, they're they're what I call a swing team between having cap space and being a non-taxpayer MLE team, and a lot of that is revolves around Miles Bridges. If they re-sign Miles Bridges, which everything seems to be pointing towards, they they didn't trade him at the trade deadline. He he also had uh, come out. I think it was the day before, and basically through the media said. Hey, I'll block any trade. I, I I don't want to be traded. I want to be here in Charlotte. And whether that was he really wants to be a Hornet or that is I don't want to lose my bird rights and, and the chance to sign a big contract. I think we're in a spot with um with the Miles Bridges where that's going to make make the difference. Now, 
it all sounds good to say, well, I like my bird rights and I'm going to resign here and all those things. But if another one of these cap space teams comes in and says, hey, we want Miles Bridges, like we're, we're willing to spend to get him. Then all of a sudden he's off the books. And now in, in Charlotte, you may see them pivot uh, in a different direction where it is. All right, let's let's now look at maybe we do dip under the cap and we 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 go that way. So it's going to be kind of um, a, a team to watch. We'll also see where their draft pick land, lands out. If if they end up finishing somewhere in the four, five, six range that that could push them a little closer to maybe we should go the cap space route. But for right now, I've got them projected to stay over the cap, but definitely a swing team. All right, so the, the cap space teams, what cap space teams are you projecting that could potentially make a, a run at him or anything else in the 24 offseason? Yeah, so we start with a familiar name at the top of the list, the Detroit Pistons. They they cleared out long-term money uh, at the, the trade deadline. They moved off some, some guys who had uh, money moving forward into the future, and they really didn't take anything on beyond Samani Fontecchio's cap hold for for next year they've got i project them right now 61 million in cap space for the pistons um they that which is a ton it's not double max space but it's it's a uh, max contract plus still plenty of room left over to do other stuff so we'll see what that looks like they dare their uh salary books if they go the way i think you will essentially have only players on rookie scale contracts and isaiah stewart who's starting rookie scale extension uh, coming up. So they, they're in a really um, good place as far as flexibility goes. But I have to be remiss if I didn't know. We've seen the story before with Detroit where they've been in this spot. They move it forward. They, they get into this position where they've got all kinds of cap space and other stuff. Then then they just kind of rent it out by taking on bad contracts or they make really questionable signings and those sorts of things. So we'll see. Behind them, Orlando, uh, there's a I get them about 45 million in space. Something important to know with the Magic that does mean moving on from um, Markel Fultz or Jonathan Isaac. But what I think could happen there is they they renounce them, renounce Fultz, wave Isaac, and then maybe bring one or both of them back, but at a much lower number um, than what their cap hold would be, which would eat into their cap space some but would still allow them to have some cap space. Cause I think Orlando's at a spot where they've got to do something before the team starts to have to resign some guys and the like Utah is on that list. 42.7 million. I think most or not most, but at least a large chunk of that is going to go to the renegotiation and extension with Laurie Markkinen as they look to bump his number up for next year and keep him in the fold long-term. And then we'll see what they do after that. Philadelphia, they're in an interesting place. They didn't take on any money long-term at the trade deadline. They actually got off about $4 million for next year. So now you're at a spot where you've got a, where you, you've got Philadelphia has um, about $42 million in space. And if they decide, hey, you know what, we're going to move on from uh, DeAnthony Melton, where we're going to waive Paul Reed if his contract doesn't automatically guarantee, and maybe we move out of our draft pick as well, they could have $65 million in cap space. So then, then all of a sudden it is, all right, what are the Sixers doing? Because they're, they're the major player because yeah, they'd have only Embiid and Maxi uh, at that point on the roster and on the books, but you'd know they'd be in play. And then the last team I know, or at least I'm projecting that cap space is the Toronto Raptors at about 41 and a half million. A lot of that comes out of 
declining Bruce Brown's uh, team option for next year. But I, I think the combination of them having a lot of wings and wanting to have uh, flexibility that they haven't had in years in Toronto, I think you may see them go the cap space route. I really hope Orlando does some work this offseason because that is a fun team, and I, I love the the trajectory of this team. So I'm, I'm hoping that they, they make some very smart moves here in the f- near future. Yeah. Uh, cap space teams that are swing teams. We talked about Charlotte, but you also have the Oklahoma city thunder and the Spurs within that tier. Uh, why are they swing teams? Yeah. For the thunder, it's all about Gordon Hayward. If they, if he comes off the books fully, they renounce him. They'll have 30 million in cap space, which is, it sounds crazy for a team that is like second in the Western conference and right there and doesn't have a lot of holes, which is really, I think that should be almost terrifying for the rest of the league because with 30 million in cap space, that gives the thunder the ability to say, all right, what we really need is a small forward who can shoot, or we need a big man who can rebound. They, they, they can go get it in whether it's trade free agency, whatever it is they're going to have the ability to go get it. And in trade, you know, it's a conversation of, okay, two firsts isn't enough. How about three? How about four? How about 15 second round picks? Like they, they really have the ability to do almost whatever they want to do. Um, so that's, that's why, you know, we have them. If Hayward works out great. Um, I think then what you could see them do is resign him. He's not going to be back for 31 and a half million. We know that, but they could resign him at a much lower number. But then that could put them in a spot where, eh, you know what, it's actually better. Let's stay over the cap, use the mid-level exception or something like that. So they're, they're kind of in the middle. I'm projecting them as it stands right now to probably have cap space, but we'll see. The Spurs are in a little bit of a different spot. They, they're pretty much down to uh, rookie deals, a couple of extensions, and they, they should have about $20 million in cap space. But they've got a couple of veterans that they could say, you know, let's hang on to them. Let's keep their rights. We'll, we'll maybe use them in signing trades or use them in other type of deals and those kind of things. And if they do that, then then maybe they stay over the cap. But I think Spurs are probably more likely to go the cap space route, about $20 million or so, as they kind of keep building that roster up around Victor Wembanyama. Non-taxpaying teams, Brooklyn, Houston, Indiana, New York, Sacramento, and Washington. Those that do not apply, <laughs> that shouldn't apply to this, Washington and probably Brooklyn at this point because it seems like they are more towards the bottom. Um, and then you have swing teams uh, for non-taxpayer uh, that could be up to the taxpayer. So we'll just group these in as non-taxpayer for right sure. now is also Chicago, Cleveland, and New Orleans. This is a fascinating group in the middle here. Um, just pick and choose Keith, uh, which ones you want to talk about that you think, uh, are notable. Yeah. If I, I'll talk about Indiana for, for a moment of the teams that'll have the non-taxpayer, because I think some people are like, how do they not have cap space? They, they could, but that means they're going to be moving off some very valuable players to create that cap space. That doesn't seem likely to happen. And then Houston and Washington, both could have been cap space teams this summer, but both made deals where they took on money into next season. The Rockets took on Steven Adams. The Wizards initially took on uh, Marvin Bagley. Then they took on Rashawn Holmes. So those guys are going to have money into next year, which is going to put them in a spot where they can use the non-taxpayer. For Houston, I think that makes sense because they would not have been able to really create a ton of cap space in a reasonable scenario. 
And so use the mid-level, add another piece there and keep pushing the rebuild forward. And for Washington, it's just a sign of, hey, we're in it. We're, we're in this for the long haul. This is not a quick flip where we're trying to immediately turn this thing around. So a little bit of a different spot there. Uh, and then the only team of those the teams that are taxpayer Emily swing teams is the Bulls. A lot of it's dependent on what happens with DeMar DeRozan. Do they uh, extend him? Do they resign him? Where is that going to put them at? Cleveland, we kind of talked about, we talked about Craig Porter Jr. They're, they're an increasingly expensive team. So they're dancing right around the tax line. And then the Pelicans, they're in the same boat. And the good news for Cleveland and New Orleans Again, not a situation where you have like six roster spots to fill and you're that expensive. It's really, you're talking about all right, one or two more guys and that they, that they could look at it and say that's the absolute right guy to use the full non-taxpayer on, but they're kind of right, right around that right now. Yeah, the Bulls, they, they just seem like they're a team that they're going to have to rip a Band-Aid off or something. Everything is going the wrong way for that team, Keith. Yeah, it's, I mean... I wrote about it earlier this year. I don't, I don't understand the Bulls. Their, their uh, front office came out and said, we have approval to do a full rebuild. If that's what we think is best, that's not what we think we should do. Then that's just, I, that flies in the face of, I think, what almost everyone else thinks. I know especially what Bulls fans think. So who who knows where they'll go uh, there in, in uh, Chicago. I think they just seem committed to, Hey, be in contention for for a playoff spot that that or postseason spot at least. Uh, look, that, that's enough for us. Taxpayer teams: Atlanta, Dallas, Miami, and Portland. Uh, Portland seems to be the <laughs> uh, the one that sticks out the most here after all the moves that they've done. And you're scratching your head of who's left here that is pushing them into being a taxpayer. Uh, so let's go there, Keith. Yeah, if you look at Portland's uh, uh, salary sheet. You'll see Jeremy Grant's got the big contract. DeAndre Ayton's got a big contract. Malcolm Brogdon's over $20 million. Amphrey Simons is almost at $26 million. And then you've got three guys on kind of those mid-range. You've got Scoot Henderson as the number two pick. He's at $10 million. Matisse Thibel, who they match the offer sheet on, $11 million. And Robert Williams is at about $12.4 million. So you start adding it up. It gets, that, that all piles up very quickly. Then you add in, they're going to get a top probably five or six draft pick. Uh, And then they're likely to have another pick come their way in the middle of the first round as well. And you put all that together and all of a sudden Portland is, holy cow, this team is really expensive. And, and that's going to take care of itself to some extent. They're going to make some trades. I think they held on to Malcolm Brogdon for now. I'd be surprised if he's on the team at the start of next season. I think that'll be an off season thing. We'll see if they decide to move Jeremy Grant or not. That'll be another conversation that I'm sure they'll have DeAndre Ayton. We'll see what that looks like as well, but Portland's very much in flux, but as it stands right now, we can't call them anything but a taxpayer mid-level team. And quite honestly, I don't, think let me make sure they don't have enough room to even use the taxpayer mle right now because they're they project to be um up and over the um the first eight the the first apron without enough room under it to to go to the to go to the um to use the full taxpayer mle uh because they would get hard capped at the second apron so so just a weird thing for portland considering they they're not not a good team by any uh anybody's you know dreaming of anything with them and they, they're they've just been you know kind of in a spot where it's they, they got to figure it out 
Atlanta's in this group, as we said, they seem like they need to figure something out. Miami, they're what in the uh, uh, as of right now seventh seed of this season, but we know they have some moves that they probably are going to need to make over the off season as well. Um, and, and Dallas, we know Dallas made a lot of moves at the trade deadline, which brought in some salary, and they're trying to sort of push all their chips in. So a- anything notable that you want to mention about Atlanta, Dallas, or Miami? Yeah, I think Dallas makes sense that they're here. Like, this is a team that's, that's – they're trying to go for it with Luka. They should have enough room to use the taxpayer MLE uh, in enough wiggle room to do that. We'll see what it looks like if they – uh, make another trade or two. Maybe they could maybe even free up enough room to get down to a spot where they could use the tax uh, or non-taxpayer Emily rather, but, but we'll see. I, I think probably taxpayer for them in a pretty full roster in Dallas. Uh, the um, Atlanta though, just or Miami, they're a very easy story, right? They're trying to contend very similar to Dallas. Atlanta is a one where again, a team that they're not as bad as Portland, but, not all that much better can't be this expensive they're gonna have to do something there's there's a lot of buzz around could this summer be the summer they start to look at a trey young trade uh we know Dejounte murray was on on the uh, on the the block uh, at the trade deadline clint capella could be traded maybe deandre hunter a lot of these things could be stuff that frees up room uh, for the Hawks, especially if they make a Trey Young trade, obviously that's you're completely changing the entire calculus of your team and your franchise if you did something that big. So we're we're gonna keep an eye on it in Atlanta for sure because that something has to give. They they cannot be a taxpayer. Never mind a team that's kind of dancing around the second apron if if they're gonna be this expensive. Finishing it off, the second apron teams, you've got nine of them. Boston, Denver, Golden State, LA Clippers, Los Angeles Lakers, Memphis, Milwaukee, Minnesota, and Phoenix. Notable thoughts after you've done all your projections out of the second apron teams because a lot of new rules kick in and they're going to be strapped for uh, roster movement, uh, trades, all that good stuff as we've been talking about over the last couple of months. Yeah, because any, anybody who talks NBA, if you don't uh, contractually meet your obligation to talk about uh, your the Lakers, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with them here for a minute. A lot of this depends on what happens with LeBron James, what happens with D'Angelo Russell, what happens with a couple other free agents. So they're, they're very likely to be up around the second apron, uh, next season as they re-sign some guys, but they've also got some moves that they could make where maybe they dip under and function as just a uh, regular tax team like, like they are this season. The rest of the teams on this list, outside of two, they're this is just where they are now. Boston, Denver, the Clippers, the Bucks, the Suns. Those teams are all contenders. The Warriors, they're sending signals that they may make a transition. They may kind of do something uh, different where it is. Uh, let's let's go a little bit of a different direction. Let's move move in a slightly different way where maybe we move off some money or something like that. We'll see what it looks like. Their uh, owner, Joe Lacob, came out recently and said, we got to get out of this repeater tax. Um, so we'll see. Then it's Memphis and Minnesota. Those are the two kind of, what are we doing here? We already talked a lot about the Grizzlies, so we don't need to spend any more time on them. But Minnesota is, they are wildly expensive. Uh, as a as a team right now, they they are on the books for just um. Let, let me make sure I get my number right here for just eight players. 
they're already at 173.7 million. So we're already like up and over the first apron for just eight players. That's without re-signing Mike Conley, Kyle Anderson, and Monte Morris, who are all key rotation guys for this team. So even those guys at reasonable contracts, let's say, let's just, let's just be very simple and say 10 million a piece for those guys, which feels probably like an underpay for a couple of them. That would put them at $30 million more, which would put them up over a $200 million payroll. Um, and that would put them up over the, um, or I guess right in line with the $200 million payroll. And that would put them uh, well over the uh, second apron. So and something's going to give in Minnesota. They, they better hope that they have this uh, full full run here, that this is real right now. They look really, really good. And maybe if they do make a Western Conference Finals or an NBA Finals run, ownership is a little bit more willing to say, all right, well, we'll keep this team together. But if not, uh, something big is going to happen. And what the big thing I would keep my eyes on, Carl Anthony Towns. I, I think that could be the guy who who you see movement with there in Minnesota because I think Anthony Edwards, uh, Jaden McDaniels, those are core guys. And I think they, they really like what Rudy Gobert has brought them quite a bit. And I think they know – we can't win a championship with Carl Anthony, Anthony Towns as the anchor big on defense. Maybe we can find enough offense to replace him if we were to move him uh, in a deal and let Rudy Gobert continue to anchor things there, which he's done really, really well this season. Yeah, as uh, the dust settled with the trade deadline, I've already heard his name come up at least once or twice on either a reading or things that I've listened to. So I will not be surprised if that name starts to get floated out more and more as we get closer to June and into July uh, to be the traded piece, especially if, like you said, if they do not make a deep run with all the aspirations that they have right now and being at the top of the Western Conference, um, maybe the tune changes if they do make it to the, the Western Conference finals and into the finals itself. Um, but that team is fascinating um, and I'm looking forward to maybe doing, if you can do like a, uh, what's next team version of the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, as you spoke that out, maybe lay it out for some, for some of the fans, give you a little bit of homework maybe there. Uh, because I think that team is fascinating with having made that massive blockbuster trade and, and the first year it looked atrocious and now they've actually righted the ship here a bit. So that'll be, uh, something to look forward to. And it's, I'll just note new owners that took the full amount of time, plus maybe sort of an extension. We'll see to uh, get their, um, get the ownership pushed through and had to bring in extra partners. So it's not like this is Steve Ballmer bought a team and is like, Hey, let's go crazy. Uh, this Timberwolves teams in a slightly different uh, group. Now I will also know they're trying to get a new arena built and, they, there's they, they, that's not been a place where they've had a lot of public support for it. And I don't know that you're going to get a lot of public support if it is, Hey, best team we've had in you know a decade. Hey, let's tear it all down and uh, start over. Cause it's really expensive. They're, I think you would lose any fan support coming out of that, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Cause I just, it's not sustainable uh, for where they're at. Unless all of a sudden they start uh, really ripping off title contention years, you know, consecutively coming up. Great job with this piece, Keith. If you have not taken a look, please go to spottrek.com and take a look at the spending projections uh, that Keith has laid out here. Uh, let's finish off with this, Keith. We are now post-trade deadline. 
so we're transitioning into who's going to get a contract next. So uh, we have our next contract series. So who is on your radar now that things have uh, settled with the trade deadline, now that you can really focus on what players are going to get paid next, what they may have. We also had the uh, updated projection from the league that we're running off of on SpotTrack.com. Uh, so what players are you uh, focused on with the next contract series? Yeah, I think um, th- this is where we go here is you, you come into the um, finish the trade deadline out, finish whatever the buyout market is. And then we immediately start thinking about next, next season in the off <laughs> season, right? It's, it's not that we're not watching the playoffs and all that stuff, but uh, for what we do, it's immediately, that's where eyes turn. And uh, for me, that splits my time really in the thirds. I, I spend a third of my time focused on, contracts and free agency and all that a third of my time focused on getting ready for the draft and then roughly it's probably more like those are each a quarter of my time and then half my time is really dialed in still i'm watching games and all that other stuff but guy team so you just gave me some homework with the timberwolves so we'll get something together on them here soon i I think they're they're an interesting spot i think um there's a few other teams that that could be as well that, that we'll we'll bat around ideas on but for players next contracts I think there's a couple fascinating ones. Laurie Markkinen is one of them for sure um, because of the renegotiation and extension part of things. So we'll get into that a little bit because there's there's an interesting kind of wrinkle where Miles Turner was done in the old world where it was let's renegotiate and extend him using our leftover cap space and go. DeMontis Sabonis was done in the new world where it was we created cap space. So let's use some of it to do that. So Markinen is kind of a interesting guy more on the Sabonis run um, with that. So we'll put something about that together. I think Derek White is in a fascinating spot. He's extension eligible. Uh, him, he, he has clearly earned a new big, big contract. Uh, the question is, where are the Celtics at? They are in a really, uh, you know, tricky spot with how expensive that team is getting and that may come into play a little bit with drew holiday as well um so probably kind of almost maybe do a combo deal with white and holiday because i don't think you can talk about one without the other i mentioned him before malik monk um he's really been a breakout star and has played really really well but the kings are super limited in what they can give him uh for a contract and one of these cap space teams may say uh hey malik monk we can offer more so i want to get into that as well. And then OG Ananobi is another guy I've got on my list. Again, going to be a free agent very likely this summer. What does it look like for him? And, and where are the Knicks going to go with OG Ananobi? So that's, that's uh, you know, a whole bunch of guys there that are going to be in uh, interesting places. And I think we could definitely see some stuff get done with all of them. All right, looking forward to all of that, Keith. I know our, our readers and the NBA public is looking forward to seeing what you write about some of these players that you've mentioned. Uh, No front office Friday this week, correct? I believe you guys did a a front office Friday on a Thursday (laughs) yesterday. Yeah, um, Trevor is traveling. Uh, He's taking uh, the front part of the All-Star break to to go visit some family and and do some family time. So so no front office Friday this week where we just did a – we call it front office Friday on a Thursday. And that's, that, that was what we did uh, with, with that. So we'll, we'll regroup here. It's where we're, we're going to be a little spotty for 
the beginning part of next week too, just because it's it's the All Star break where we're this is our last chance at any kind of downtime. We're really mapping out the calendars until like the middle to end of July. Uh, Summer league got pushed back this year by a whole week, uh, so it runs now until July twenty second. So we're we're gonna be busy all the way through most of July. Uh, this year and then in we all know if, if lebron decides to be a free agent he'll decide somewhere the day or two before the olympics start probably just because no knowing how his free agencies have gone in the past so it's going to be going to be a busy summer all the way through so we're taking some downtime here while we can yeah i i know from listening yesterday and you and i have had the same conversation uh this off season is going to be trade trade yeah heavy. Um, so I know you and I are going to be very busy on the transactional side. Uh, once the new league year hits in July, in a lot of ways, I think trades are even more fun than free agent signings because trades impact multiple teams and multiple players. Uh, so you get a lot of stuff going on there where free agency, sometimes you already know a guy's leaving one place. So it's really on an impact for that player and wherever he signs to. So yeah, I'm excited. We're, we're already kind of, that we branded it summer of the trade uh, on front office show. And that that's, I think what we're going to see. All right, Keith, thanks for everything you've done at Keith Smith NBA. If you'd like a follow and hit them up with any questions that you have, Keith, enjoy your weekend for Keith Smith. I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA next podcast.